because you think it's about you and they think it's about them. But the Bible says it's not about us. It's about Him. See, Jesus is the proper center of the solar system. Because when Jesus is the proper center, we all find our orbit around Jesus. And then Jesus says, look, while you're in orbit around me, I want you to serve that person. And yet, you are being selfish. And you need to stop being selfish. See, we worship God together. We do it in the assembly of the saints. Selfishness is something that can be seen around the world. Ad agencies pander to self-promotion, and people want to know what the world can give them. As Pastor Daniel observes, we each think we're the center of the solar system. Jesus has a different perspective, though, and today we'll discover how he can change ours, too. Jesus calls us to love him first and then serve others, looking instead for ways that we can give to the world. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, The Need for Meaning. We are designed to worship in community. That's why we say here that Crossroads is a family of faith, fully engaged. See, too many people in the 21st century were just consumers. Like, we go to church like it's the grocery store. We go to the one that's closest to me that has the right time, you know, all these things. And we're busy going to church rather than being the church. And when you go to church rather than being the church, you completely miss God's design for your life. I realize that's a challenging statement. They tell you as a pastor, you shouldn't challenge anybody because I'll go to a church that isn't challenging. And I think that's the problem. Too many churches want to pander to the lowest common denominator. Listen, you were created to be in community with other people. And you were created to worship God together with other people. Because left up to your own devices, guess what? You're up to your own devices. And it breeds selfishness. And for many of us, the reason we are struggling today is we expect everybody to do everything we want them to do. We think in our own solar system, I am the sun and the center of the solar system, and everything's supposed to revolve around me. This is what I want. This is what I think. And if it's not, you don't do what I want, then well, forget you. I'll take my marbles and go play by myself. But you know what the problem when you think everyone's supposed to pander to you? They think everyone's supposed to pander to them, and it's quite disconcerting. Because all of a sudden, you don't get the things that you want, and they don't get the things that they want because you think it's about you, and they think it's about them. But the Bible says it's not about us, it's about him. See, Jesus is the proper center of the solar system. Because when Jesus is the proper center, we all find our orbit around Jesus. And then Jesus says, look, while you're in orbit around me, I want you to serve that person. And yet, you are being selfish. And you need to stop being selfish. See, we worship God together. We do it in the assembly of the saints. I love what Jesus said. John 4, 24. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit And in truth. I love this. To me, this is a great reality about what worship is. We worship God in spirit and we worship him in truth. Now, when I think about 
modern Christianity, contemporary Christianity, this, I think, really is a great definition of what real Christianity is. But it really shows two kind of sides of the Christian faith. One is spirit, kind of the more charismatic approach, right? Where it's kind of like everything in worship is about the experience. Am I sensing the presence of God? Did the hair on the back of my hair stand up? You know, it's this charismatic experience. And then when the spirit isn't moving, then people start dumping glitter into the HVAC system. So, oh, the Lord is here. Or all of a sudden, someone's got a smoke machine out there. Like, the Shekinah glory's here. The glory. It's like, no, dude, it's a smoke machine. I saw the guys with the hot ice in the back. There's a lot of the church like that. It's all about the spirit fingers of it all. Like, you know, you guys remember the spirit fingers movie? Yeah, you sinners. No, I'm just kidding. Bring it on. Sorry. (laughs) So on one side, you have the charismatic where it's all, the spirit's all feely. And then the other side, you have spirit and truth. So that's kind of like the more crusty Bible thumper, right? Like, you ever met those people? They are so serious about God's word without the spirit. And every time you do something wrong, they're like, that is not right. It says here in the King James Bible, this. I heard a great quote about this. You would love this. Because Jesus also told, remember he told the Pharisees, you do error because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God in John's gospel. So again, you have the same division. The power of God, the word of God. Spirit, truth. I don't believe in false dichotomies, so I'm not going to say that one is better than the other. I believe if Jesus said we need to worship him in spirit and in truth, if he told the Pharisees, you do error because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God, then I want to know the power of God on the scriptures. And I want to learn how to worship God in spirit and in truth. So I got a quote for you. You'll love this. If you have the word without the spirit, you dry up. You'd be kind of like an old, like parched, raisin Christian. You know everything about everything, but you hate everybody. Right? So you have the word without the spirit, you dry up. You have the spirit without the word, you blow up. Right? Because it's like, who cares what the Bible says? Here's a holy punch from Jesus. No. (laughs) That's not what he... Jesus is not honored by you barking like a dog, bro. That's for your dog. (laughs) But you have the spirit without the word, you blow up. But listen, if you have the word and the spirit, you grow up. See, we need both equal parts. You can clap. That's a good one. You have the word without the spirit, you dry up. You're just a crusty Bible thumper. I'll never forget, I met a guy one time, he was just like, he was all like, oh, he's all mad at my doctrine, as if somebody gets saved because he's angry at everybody for not knowing the word as well as him, right? And he's just like, I'm like, well, bro, listen, so you're a Bible scholar, yeah. I'm like, Jesus said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself and love your enemy, so you're failing, bro. He's like, well, what do you know? You have dreadlocks. I'm like, I got freedom in Jesus. (laughs) But listen, if you have the word without the spirit, you dry up because then this book becomes just a dusty list of rules that you judge everybody against. When the Bible says, judge not, lest not you be judged. Because the proper application of the word of God is by the spirit. The things of the spirit are spiritually discerned. You can read this thing like a dictionary, but it's not a dictionary. It's the living, breathing word of God that wants to transform your life by the Holy Spirit. So don't be a Bible thumper who's beating everybody up with the Bible because the Bible says you should love people. But if you don't have the spirit of God, this is just a list of rules that you judge everybody by. You dry up. But again, if you have the spirit without the word, you just blow up. 
everything is running to the next spiritual experience, right? Oh, the Spirit's moving here. The Spirit's moving here. And it's like you got slain in the Spirit. You got baptized in the Holy Ghost. You had holy, you had all the Christian diseases. (laughs) That's what you end up with. Because you're not reading the Word of God. Because when you read the Word of God, you realize that God meets us in these great experiences. And then he also doesn't sometimes. Sometimes God doesn't do anything. And he does everything by not doing anything. See, what happens is if we're not grounded in the word, we're just running after experiences. And that's no different than the world. It's just a little Jesus. That's why people give all their money to these shysters on TV. Send in your seed money and I'll send you my handkerchief. No, wash that thing and put it back in your pocket. Send it to anybody. That's sick. Unless Jesus snotted on that, I don't want your snots. But there are people who give their mortgages over to these idiots. Forgive me, I should love them, but I don't. But God's not finished with me yet. He's working on me. I'm in a process too. Praise God. And the moral of that is don't buy someone's snotty handkerchief. If you're going to spend the money, go to Macy's and buy one. Don't get someone's boogers on. I don't care who he is or she is. Gosh. Sorry. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> but you have the spirit without the word, you're going to blow up. You're going to do dumb stuff. But if you have the spirit and the word together, you have spirit and truth together, then you grow up. Because they both hem us in on both sides because the Spirit inspired the Word and the Word keeps us from going off into no man's land and the Spirit keeps us from becoming grumpy Christians. So we need both sides and we do that together. We worship in spirit and truth and we worship together. Now, notice what it says in verse 2. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Now notice this. We worship the creator king. We worship the creator king. This is very, very important. Notice what it says. It says, let Israel rejoice in their maker and the children of Zion be joyful in their king. The fact that God is the creator is so important. It's how your Bible begins. See, God realizes that all of us are going to know, if you read the beginning of the book and the end of the book, you can fill in the blanks in the middle. You guys ever hear that? Nobody ever cheated in school. I did. A lot. They say, you read the beginning of the book and the end of the book, you can fill in the middle pretty quickly. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-1, the very first verse. Remember I said that loving God, it's about the Father and creation is the most important thing. Why? Because the fact that God created everything is infinitely important. Because the creator understands the intention of that for which is created. The fact that God is the creator is infinitely important. You know, it's funny. How many of you ever met somebody who doesn't believe in God and they're just pretty angry about life? Anybody meet somebody like that? You realize that when you don't believe in God and you believe that everything happened by happenstance, it makes sense that you're going to be angry. Because how can you have joy knowing that everything happens by chance and there's no rhyme or reason to it? I met somebody the other day like, oh, I can't believe you believe in a creator, God. I believe in everything happened by chance. All mad, foaming at the, I'm like, so how's that doing for you? I'm like, are you happy? You don't seem happy. Every Post on Facebook is angry, it's angry, it's angry. And you're like, what's it getting you? 
See, his belief about God leads to his identity of himself, which leads to a way of living. And listen, it makes sense. If someone believes that everything happened by chance and there's no wisdom or rhyme or reason beyond what's happening behind it, you're going to be frustrated. It's hard. There's no such thing as a happy atheist because there's nothing to be happy at. Read Walden. How many of you ever read Walden? You read that nature is violent. How do you make sense of a tsunami or a flesh-eating bacteria? How do you make sense of that? It just happens. Life's messy. It's a bummer. There's nothing good comes from that. But when you believe that God is the creator, and when you realize that God's the creator, he's also the sustainer of everything. See, we live and move and have our being in God because God is God. There's not a person who is alive who is not alive because God, A, created them and B, sustains them, even if they don't believe that. And we worship God as the creator and we worship him as the king. I love that. See, God is not a creator and then an absentee landlord. Like he builds the house, he bows out. God is completely engaged, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. How many of you ever read the Lord of the Rings books by Tolkien or watched the movies? But isn't the story of the Lord of the Rings, one of the themes is that everybody needs a king. That's one of the themes of it. Without a king, things don't make sense. That's one of the storylines of the Lord of the Rings books. See, not only do we worship the creator, but we also worship the king of kings and the Lord of lords who has control over everything. Now you might be saying, well, if he's the king, there's an awful lot of rebellion going on. And you're right. And guess what? The Bible tells us that one day the king's going to come back and he's going to make it right. But why does the king delay in coming back? Because the king is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. The reason the king hasn't come back and put down the rebellion against his royal authority is because he wants people like you and like me to amend our ways. If Jesus would have came back 20 years ago, I would have been lost for eternity. Listen, if Jesus came back yesterday, some of you who are going to say yes to Jesus today would be lost for an eternity. But the reason the king does not return to set things right right now is he's waiting that we might bow our knee to his authority because he is the creator king. We worship the creator king. Now notice verse three, beautiful. Let them praise his name with the dance and let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and the harp. Next, we learn that we worship expressively. I love this. We praise him with the dance, with the timbrel and the heart. Whatever it is that you worship, you go after that passionately, with energy. I mean, football, football players train all year. They've been doing it forever to be able to do that. They put their body through all this stuff. I was reading an article about retired offensive linemen who were 350 pounds, and then after they retire, a whole bunch of them now are going down to like 180 pounds. And they talk about how hard it was to eat that much food to keep on that weight so that they can do their job. That's passion. Now, my friends, listen. Are you expressive in your worship of the true and living God? See, I think for some of us, we forget that when we gather together on a Sunday and on a Wednesday, and we go to worship, it's like everyone's like kind of too cool for worshiping Jesus. Like you stand there like, oh, yeah, song, song, sing, sing. God, I hope this is almost over. I wonder what's going on in the game. Some of us are too cool for school with worship and it completely missing the point. 
See, I just had this, I love being a parent. It's so, my kids are so fun. And I love my son Obadiah because Obadiah is like me. And so he's a challenge, big challenge, right? So Obadiah is at that age now where Obadiah is too cool to show affection for his dad in public. And I am so stoked about this part of parenting. I think this is going to be great. Sure enough, yesterday, Obadiah had a doubleheader soccer game, right? He had a game in the morning, game in the afternoon. They won both games, praise the Lord. And sure enough, after the game, Obadiah rolls up. I go to swing my arm around him. Obadiah's like, he thought he was like a stealth ninja, but I just knew. I'm like, oh, you're a little too cool for me to put my arm around you, huh? I'm like, what's going to happen if your friends see me kiss you? You got to pray for Obadiah, man. I'm going to mess this kid up something good. It's like, oh, so you're too cool to show affection anyway. And he's like, No. I'm like, well, they come here and give daddy a kiss. Come on, buddy. And he gets all freaked out. Wouldn't you? <laughs> but this is fun for me, you know? But what's funny is that Obadiah loves his dad. Don't tell him I told you. But we get in the car and he's like, man, it was a great game. Give me fist pumps and everything. But when we're walking outside, God forbid, I even look like I know the kid. And what's funny is some of you are like that with worship. Some of you show up to the worship service and you're like, mm-hmm. Yeah, praise God. Praise, praise. <laughs> See, we, because God is worthy of worship, we should be passionate. And I realize everyone's expressive in different ways, but don't be too cool for school. We should worship passionately. I love this. You worship God with the dance. I mean, let them praise his name with the dance. One of my favorite parts of life is going to a wedding with my family. Because I'm all Italian, right? And there's nothing quite like when you're all Italian uncles, these dignified guys in these nice suits, when you try and make them dance. Because they're too cool to be on the dance floor. And so they do things like this. They won't lift their feet, because if they lift their feet, Jesus will come back, you know? <laughs> Italian guys just don't dance that way, right? When you're dancing and you're really into it, it's kind of fun. It doesn't matter that you look hideous, you know? That's why I love kids. You go to a, a wedding with kids and kids start dancing. They couldn't care less. My daughter Maranatha was like, Maranatha, let's dance. And she's like, yeah, you know? I just grab my phone. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be good. And every time she looks at me, I go, you know, just catch that. I'm going to show that on her wedding day. Actually, I'm going to show that any guy who wants to take her out on a date. I'm like, oh, you want to see this? Uh, you want to take her out? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> Brother says, we should be into worship. We shouldn't show up. Worship is not the warm-up for the sermon. Worship is where the action's at. Because when all is said and done, there ain't going to be no more Bible preaching. There's going to be worshiping the true and living God. And would you God that we would be a people who worship expressively. What you find when you worship expressively is that before you know it, you really enjoy worship. Listen, God is worthy of us to put it all in there. Nobody who's a phenomenal dancer Nobody kind of does it. You do it all the way because it means something. Same thing with your marriage. See, we worship not just with song, but every day. You live your life passionately because your life is important and all you have is today. And you got to put it all on the line. You got to be passionate and expressive about it. So not only do we worship God together, we worship the creator king. We worship expressively. Look what it says in verse four. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people he will beautify the humble with salvation. So we worship as humbly saved. I love this. See, the reason you and I worship is because God has saved us. 
God has taken us from a life of rebellion and placed us into his family. He took us from all sorts of issues and he placed us in a different place. God has saved us. Now imagine this. Maybe you're one of those people who you just racked up all that debt and all of a sudden someone shows up and says, look, I'm going to pay off your debt. Are you going to be like, yeah, bro. Is that what you do? No, you say, thank you so much. Wow, I can't believe it. And then you start thinking, wow, that person, how should I respond to such an amazing gesture? See, when you realize how God has so profoundly saved us, that causes us to worship. If somebody were to give one of their organs so that you might have life, you might say, I need to live a certain way because someone went through such a big sacrifice that I might have life. See, we respond to God's salvation by worshiping him. We become passionate about the life that we live, and we learn the art of living because what we find is that God has saved us. And I love this. He will beautify the humble with salvation. That idea of humility is huge. Because you know what humility says? Humility says, the reason God saved me is not because I'm so great. I've got everything together. The reason God saved me is because God does that kind of thing. And you don't come and say, of course God saved me. I mean, how could he not? You say, I can't believe that God saved me. And you're humbled. You think of yourself small because you're like, I can't believe God would do something so amazing for me. When was the last time you allowed God's saving work in Jesus to humble you? And drive you to live a lifestyle that declares the worth of a creator king who would go to such extravagant lengths to make sure that I could be part of his family. We worship as humbly saved. Now, this reminds me of Romans chapter 12. The apostle Paul says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In some of your translations, it says, which is your spiritual act of worship. See, what he's saying is that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God as an act of spiritual worship because of what God has done for us. See, when you and I worship as people who are humbly saved, we find the art of living. Richard Foster said it this way, Worship begins with holy expectancy. It ends in holy obedience. (laughs) See, we show up believing that God is worthy of worship and the outcome of it is us walking in holy obedience because we're simply responding to Jesus. So we learn we worship together. We worship the creator king. We worship expressively. We worship as humbly saved. And then finally... Look at what it says in verse 5. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Brothers and sisters, we worship with joy. And the reason we worship with joy is because as we declare the worth of God in the way that we live, God shares his joy with us. Jesus is The message Pastor Daniel shared with us today was a challenge to examine who and how we worship. 
As we place our focus on Jesus, realizing all he has done for us, we'll desire to express our praise to him. And as we do, we'll share in his joy. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. God has been doing some amazing things at Crossroads. One of the things that I'm the most stoked about is our new campuses. We launched a brand new campus in Southwest Portland. So if you're in the area, I'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship Sundays at 10 a.m. Our online campus is reaching the entire world. And we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9, 11, or 1 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. at CrossroadsLive.tv. Now here's Josh with what's coming up on our next episode of Jesus is Real Radio. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share more about the relationship we have with our Heavenly Father. By exploring the prayer Jesus taught His disciples, we will see precisely how our interaction with God affects us and those around us. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series, The Art of Living. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.